I think that's a funny place to start. You just mentioned you're from Iowa, so mm-hmm. you kind of got to like look at your GPS coordinates and be like, all right, am I good? Am I good to do to engage in this behavior now? <laughs> so exactly, especially when you wear the River Bluff T-shirt on, you get some side eyes when you're traveling in the middle of Iowa. It's like, what is it? What is these potheads doing? You know? So yeah, yeah, it was that. Well. Uh, I think the only thing I like about Iowa is uh, I think it's the world's largest truck stop. And uh, that's, that's about, I think, all I, no offense. Yeah. I, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Was a, I was say we grew up in Illinois, so I don't know that we're um, too far oh, okay. off from what you're saying. So, okay. I didn't know if you were like real sensitive <laughs> about me because <laughs> I was about to call Iowa a godforsaken hellhole, but I was like, well, uh, well. <laughs> Yeah, well, I am from Iowa. So. Oh, you are, <laughs> Well, it's kind uh, of I'll give each of you space to introduce yourselves. I'm really excited to chat with you all today. Um, whoever wants to go first, you know, flip a coin, but uh, please introduce yourself to our audience. I'll let Allie go first, please. Okay. So my name is Allie Gansmer. I am one of the co-owners of all of the River Bluff Collective brands. So we have our hemp side of the business and our cannabis side of the business. Um, And I primarily oversee things like marketing um, and like customer and employee experience. So that's really my wheelhouse for the company overall. DJ? Yeah, my name is DJ Lafaholtz. Uh, thanks for having us today, Cole. We, um, I guess, my role is I kind of helped uh, come up with the idea maybe six or seven years ago of being in the cannabis space. I connected with my brother and my sister who both lived out in Colorado at that time and kind of seen uh, the market kind of emerging a little bit out there and thought of how we can kind of get into it. Um, I'm a, I was in the, I guess, the army for six years after high school. So uh, I joined up before 9-11. So kind of didn't know what I wanted to do after high school, so I um, joined the military, got deployed to Iraq for a few times with the 101st Airborne Division, uh, got a chance to uh, move back home and start a family. And um, with some of the things I was struggling with with my PTSD, um, I got a chance to connect with the, the therapist at the VA, and they suggested doing some pharmaceutical treatments and things like that, and that's something I wasn't really in, in, interested in doing, so I they suggested cannabis. and. At that time, I, you know, I, I got into it a little bit, but not from a medicinal purpose. So um, went out to Denver and got a chance to hang out with Allie and fell in love with edibles and flour and dabs and everything. So um, changed my life and changed my perspective and our passion about it. So I uh, got a chance to start a, a CBD company back in 2019. At that time, Josh was one of our first employees. Um, Josh is on the call as well, but um kind of just organically things kind of happen organically and um it's it's very it's, it's exciting you know we have a business now that uh, we operate in iowa illinois and wisconsin in the cannabis space um it's it's a whirlwind to say the least kind of hectic at times it's it's invigorating it's it's you know draining but you know we have i think about 75 employees now that we kind of built over the last three years and I think our, you know, our first employee is Josh, and I'm going to let him give his background, too. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name's Josh McGinnis. Um, I am the lab director here at River Bluff. Um, my background is in plant biology and chemistry. Um, I've been interested in the plant since I was 16. Um I've uh, had quite a bit of experience in both the black market and the recreational uh, white market, I guess you can say. Um, So I joined the team back in uh, 2019. Um, DJ, Ali, and Joe had um, a vision for a company and I had the same dreams. Um, They came with a little more of the business, background, sense. They kind of had an idea of how they wanted things done. And I came in and kind of implemented that plan. And um, that was four years ago. And here we are today. Um, You know, we all had the same dream. um, And we kind of divided and conquered our way to victory. That's awesome. And is it a I'm sure you'll appreciate this, Allie. Is it riverbluffcannabis.com? 
That is one of our websites. Yes. So riverbluffcannabis.com for our regulated marijuana products and then River Bluff Collective for our hemp side of the business. Cool. Cool. I figured you'd appreciate me plugging the website right off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, okay. So you said you're in the business in Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's cool as hell. So I'm guessing that in Iowa and Wisconsin, you're in the hemp business. In Illinois, you're in the cannabis business, even though it does (laughs) all the cannabis business, as you said, DJ. (laughs) That's exactly it. So for the last, since 2019, we, we started producing hemp, uh, manufacturing tinctures, lotions, edibles, things like that. And, and again, we, we see med- cannabis as medicine. So understanding that we you know trying to get this out to as many people as we possibly could, we had to start in the, the unregulated hemp space, right? And that's kind of like, as we talk about like politics and laws and things like that right now, we, we started in the, on, the, on the hemp side, we created products. Um, as Delta 8 and other different isomers came online, we were able to kind of tap into those different markets and scale our company pretty significantly. You know, back when we were selling just hemp, I was working a full-time job. Allie was working a full-time job. You know, Josh, you know, had to to go away for a few months to, you know, do some processing and things like that, you know, and just to make sure that we could survive um, because the market was where it was at. We started when COVID kind of came through and we kind of grinded the entire time and didn't really put pick our heads up for the first few years. And that's kind of where we're at right now. So over the last few years, we were able to develop uh, a number of SKUs, kind of create a lot of different processes for our, our recreational side, like you said, in the Illinois market. Like the intent was always to try to be a, a vertically integrated cultivation company, dispensary company, and a consumption lounge company in Illinois. Um, the, the state made us wait, you know, years and years with lawsuits and with with the uh, with COVID delays and the application process, just getting to a point where everyone knows where that what would happen with that. But it, it it forced us to really, you know, we had two choices: either either get to work and work harder, or or, or you know ship it in. You know, and I think it we the way that we kind of went about it is we took all of our life savings and put it in with a consulting team that we we have done a fantastic job with us, Lucian Dabadi and CLDB Consultants. Jeff Soskin and Dave Schwita with, uh, with their team. I mean, they did a fantastic job helping us write our application material. They were very realistic with kind of expectations. They let us, you know, pay some of their fees at the beginning, kind of wait a, a few months and pay more fees and things like that. Um, they were fantastic with, with the way they rolled that out. And, you know, when, when we identified how many applicants submitted their application for a dispensary, we thought, oh shit, we, we just lost all our life savings because there's, whatever, 4,000 people trying to apply for 30 licenses or 90 licenses, whatever it ended up being. So we generally thought that we was, you know, worked our entire lives and, and tried doing this dream and all the money was gone. Um, I still don't know how we hit one of those licenses in the social equity lottery. I mean, generally we did hit the lottery. Um, but when that happened, you know, again, it's okay. We got this, this idea that we, they think that we can do this license. How do we turn this idea and this, this opportunity into a tangible business. And again, it took another two years from that time to actually get our dispensary operational and get the approvals with all the zonings and everything on that side of the house. And Roselle, Illinois, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, again, we had a license to do anything in Chicago. And anywhere we could go, anywhere we wanted to go. We were two and a half hours west of Chicago. It's our hometown is in East Duke, Illinois, right on the border of Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois. So we had no idea where we were going to try to put this dispensary up or, or even where to start. So Again, just picked up the phone, checked out, you know, every night we'd go to bed is Googling, you know, like, like podcasts like yourself, like Illinois legalization, because things are changing so regularly mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I, I tapped in and talked to at the time it was, uh, I guess, Cassidy and Steen's offices and the representatives and just, do you have any kind of insight on what this law is going to do or what's going to happen? And they were very honest and Hey, you know, we can't tell you much of it because it's, we're still kind of figuring it all out, but you know, we may have something in May or we may have something in the fall session. And it's just constantly trying to figure out the different markets. And, um, you know, throughout that process, we, we built a strong team. We, we built our hemp company up to where we were manufacturing our own products. And I was going to ask, did it help all that time while you were waiting? And, and it, so you're not only waiting for the, the clarity, but then then you actually apply for the license and you're waiting for the license. I feel like what sets your team apart, just from what I've heard so far, is that you are also... Pe- 
participating in the hemp industry. And so is it correct for me to say maybe that made it easier because you were able to keep some dollars flowing in versus other people that had all their eggs in one basket. We want this license and, you know, no, I'm not dissing anybody. I'm just, I'm asking you, was that, was that helpful to have that extra line of revenue? It's, it's the only way we've been able to survive. Mm. Absolutely. It's, it's the only way that we would be here the way we are right now is for the ability to be able to sell hemp products. Um, and I still think that there's such a market for that across the country that, that yeah. it needs to be regulated. It needs to be um, normalized. And I think, again, we still get people, we have a license to, to sell dispensary products in, in Chicago. We have a license to grow cannabis products in Rockford. I still get people coming into my shop in East Dubuque and say, you guys sell fake weed. And it's like, I can't, you know, I, there's nothing else I can say, right? It's, we'll have to work through it. And so just, those are the things we're, we're dealing with on a constant basis. Well, and to be, and to be brutally honest, it was kind of something more or less we fell into because I mean, the whole time we were setting up this business for the recreational cannabis side, we built the hemp space as a, a training ground. We were hoping yeah. to figure out our, our SOPs and our all of our stuff. So when we did get the recreational license that we just kind of hit the ground running maybe a couple right. of months ahead. COVID happened, all, you know, it kind of pushed things off. And then we just kind of built this behemoth of a business on accident. You know, it kind of we we intended it as a training ground, but just the the way the world works it, what we had envisioned to start, it, it kind of morphed into something different. So, and it, it makes sense that it you would view it as a training ground because it is the same plant. So, I want to take on DJ's comment, and I'm sure you're going to appreciate this, DJ, uh, because let's just clear it up for folks cannabis and hemp are the same plant, they are the same genus. Um, this is just from high school biology, by the way, folks. They are <laughs> the same genus. The reason we have a legal distinction is the is the farm bill, which is what allows you to do your business, right? Your your hemp business. So anything with with more than 0.3% delta 9 THC is hemp. Anything under that is or sorry, over that is cannabis and and is a schedule 1 substance soon to be possibly schedule 3. Uh, breaking news folks, but Hey, I wanted to make your, I wanted to make your point DJ. Um, it's not fake weed. It's real weed. And to just further prove your point, I recently looked at dispensary menus and, uh, you know, we don't have to pick on anybody. I actually just picked random products. These four products, actually these three products, everyone except for the top could be sold as hemp, but they're sold in Illinois dispensaries. This top product is only uh, illegal, let's say, by 0.04. Uh, you can see here the THC levels are under the 0.3 percentage. So if if what you have is fake weed, then what some dispensaries are selling in Illinois is fake weed, it, it, which I just want to say, I wanted to say that's not true. And maybe you could elaborate on that better than I did. No, I think that's exactly it. And, and to that point, I think everyone kind of looks at at hemp and marijuana and cannabis is where you buy it at legitimizes the quality of it or the the right. effects of it. And I think that's, you know, it's just, just misinformation. There's no doubt about that. I think when people kind of look at it, it's very similar to like Cuban, Cuban cigars. It's, you know, there's a lot of co countries in South America that grow really good tobacco that people love to smoke, but just because they can't access it, it makes them more desirable and, and, and cost more money and things like that. So very similar to, to those types of a scenario. I think cannabis is exactly in line with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not only the same genus, it's the same species. So. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It is the same genus and species folks. It is. There's the only difference is a legal distinction. Let's just put it that way. You know, yeah. there's nothing different about it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess just to, to, further make our point i've been pointing out that a, a really well-known brand cookies is doing something you guys are also doing they've started their own hemp business and they're selling these what they call thca products 
in uh, a lot of states that you would think are illegal. Well, it's not illegal. It's legal by the farm bill. And it's it, it, what's crazy is especially the THCA flower. It is it, it is that those products I just showed you could be sold as THCA flower is my point. Legally through the mail. that's just the that's just it so we have we have products at our dispensary in east dubuque that we sell at our hemp dispensary that you know 28 29 percent thc percentages the terpene profiles are high and people are coming back like i can't believe this is doing exactly what i would get from similar you know competition that i'm paying significantly more money for i mean like a a quarter of flour that we'd sell at that store i mean ali what's the price point on that Just just to be fair Oh, you made it, Allie. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Um, depending upon what it is, it could be anywhere around twenty-five to thirty bucks. Um, we just have different tiers for our percentages too. So, yep. the more you buy, the more you save on the marketing side. So, just want to throw that out there too with the dispensary with ours. But yeah, nice. And then we obviously the taxes are different, so the tax rate is what the bigger probably difference is in in those price comparisons too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. There are some stores in Illinois. There aren't many, and I've been wondering why. Maybe you'd be able to tell me. But there are some stores in Illinois that sell THCA product, and you can buy it for like $50 an eighth, which is relatively unheard of in Illinois because of the taxes mm-hmm. that are applied in dispensaries. Do you, what do you, why do you think that's not more of a prominent thing that we see? And do you, sorry for asking you two questions, do you sell your hemp in Illinois? Do. We yeah. sell our hemp. We sell our hemp products in over 300 stores in Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Uh, no, was 12... <laughs> You're right. So not the, the flower that nothing's nothing smokable in Iowa, but we sell like uh, the hemp, the D9 hemp caramels and edibles and, and drinks and things like that in Iowa. Is so it is it a smokable tw- flyer, flower or illegal in Iowa or something? Smokable hemp. Smokables are yep, absolutely. Hmm. So yeah, but. I think total of 12 states we sell our products in right now on the hemp side. Uh, that's increasing uh, pretty regularly. We're connecting with different distribution channels that are making drinks right now. So some large brewers um, that are that are getting behind, they, they see the legislation change and breaking in their favor in the states that they're, they're operating in. And um, that's kind of, again, we're operating in Illinois, Iowa, and Wisconsin. And that's, you know, unfortunately, the, the way it's it's set up right now is because legislation isn't clear in all three of those states. I think Iowa came out, gave a little bit more guidance that kind of says, hey, if you want to have a production facility in Iowa, these are the rules. Similar to Wisconsin, like if you want to be producing cannabis products in Wisconsin, this, these are the rules you need to follow. In Illinois, they haven't really done that. In May, they came out with some ideas and some some changes. And I think a lot of people in the, in the cannabis market and the hemp space, they were against it. Um, I think a lot of the people in the cannabis uh, you know, the, the top 20 growers and things like that. I think they were for it. So again, right. we don't get into the political, political side too much. We just want to grow a really good weed. And it, however we need to sell it, we'll sell it because we know that it works and it gets people the desired effects that they need. Yeah. I wanted to ask you as a hemp grower, before I ask you my next question, I wanted to make sure to give you the opportunity to ask because I, I threw two questions at you. Why don't you think that's something we see more of in Illinois? Shops selling a like flour, like I've seen some of these shops sell. It's like the same. Yeah. And cheaper. Yeah. I think just miss, just miss, just on it. I mean, just from a standpoint of, of uh, not knowing what the legal market, uh, what they're allowed to do legally. I think a lot of people aren't right. as educated in the space as, as, as they need to. And that's part of our mission statement. I mean, we truly want to advocate and try to destigmatize the, the, the plant and the community. So we're, we're trying to tell as many people as we can. Yeah. And as far as moving forward, just as a hemp grower, I wanted to ask you uh, as a group, do you think that the fair way to move forward is to have age requirement? So 21 plus, I think we can all agree on that. Testing, labeling. Some people like to add as a fourth thing, taxes. I don't like that, but I'm just saying that's part of the conversation. What do you guys think about the four things I just laid out? It's just like that's how we move forward because everybody's they, talking about a crackdown. I think we just add those four things or three things, I guess, if we have to do the four things and we're good, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And that's the the hat that we wear right now, right? So we have opportunities on both sides, the recreational side and on the hemp side. 
Um, you know, we believe cannabis is, is medicine. You know, we believe that it's something that everybody should be able to grow in their house. Uh, if you, if for again, medical patients absolutely have the ability to do that. Um, you know, I gen from a recreational standpoint as well. Most everyone who wants to be able to grow cannabis should have the ability to do that in Illinois. I believe that we believe that, you know, for the last, you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever the case in Josh's perspective. But, um, you know, I think as far as selling it, um, as long as it's coming from a producer who does do testing, who does have adequate labels, who's, who's, who's providing the resources and the, the education and, and ensuring that the products are meeting all the standards, it makes sense. We're all adults. I mean, it, it, who am I to say that, that you shouldn't be able to do something as an adult living in, in, in the United States? I just, that's how we feel as a family for sure. I think too, like as a, as a mother too, I have little ones at home. So like when it comes to those things like packaging, labeling, like in at least my opinion and our team's opinion, like it, it's for, for us, we do it anyway. So, cause it's the right thing to do when it comes to those age limits and um, you know, the labeling, but the testing, certainly, I think any reputable company should have those on file um, and do those often. And, you know, we do sell our hemp products in about 275 other retailers too. So we have our store in, in East Dubuque, but um, for us, you know, being next to other brands on the shelf, we would want the whole product line to be reputable. So for that to be part of what hopefully would become maybe rules or regulations, I think would be very helpful for us to legitimize, you know, the practices that we're doing anyway, and just our products overall. So we're absolutely for that when it comes to taxes. Yes, it'll help the state. So sure. We'll say yes. But when it comes to consumers, obviously, you know, the lower these prices are in these products to get them in people's hands, you know, that's what we're for too. So I know it doesn't always go hand in hand that way, but um, if it's what it takes to make it, um, regulated, then I would say that we support that for sure. If we have to. That's it. Yeah. I think I for think us, pro- we, oh, go ahead. And for me, I think it's imperative to hit those first three to normalize the market. I mean, if we ever want to see ourselves like on a grocery store in a shelf next to other products at the end of the day, like we have to treat it like that. You, you know, make sure that what you're putting in is actually in there. Label requirements, those are those are just imperatives in the industry overall. So um, to hit those marks, it's like as we're hitting them, it's like it, it makes it makes it a thing. I, I feel like taxes, yeah. uh, you know, those will probably come whether they like them or not. So right. I'll, bra- right. I'll brace for, I'll brace for them. Ali, I, uh, I really liked what you had to say. And it it kind of made me realize that maybe I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's another interesting part of your approach. It sounds like maybe part of your plan is building it. You said something to the effect of like building brand aware you're practicing that anyways. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe I'm just implying it. So I'm giving you the opportunity to clear it up. Are, is it is it fair for me to say that this strategy of also selling hemp in Illinois could be used to build up brand awareness so that when you're actually in the dispensary, people are like, oh, I know that brand. I've consumed yeah. those products before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what something that a bridge that we're going to have to cross very soon with having our craft grow license that we recently um, acquired and were rewarded. So, you know, you have obviously larger companies that have their brand as a dispensary, but then there's sub-brands of the same companies. Um, and that's a conversation that we will have to, you know, have and, and talk through, you know, there's River Bluff as a whole collective company, but then as we go into the craft grow space, you know, there's different approaches that we can take. We're very proud of our brand. We, we want this to be like our staple, but will that resonate with consumers um will stores want to carry it if it has our brand on and we also have a dispensary too does that make it tough for us to be competitive um we don't know so that's what we're going to talk through but our brand is kind of the heartbeat to our whole company um you know we called it river bluff because we grew up right on the bluffs of the mississippi river um and that's that's where that name came from so it is really important to us um, and we're definitely connected to it, but we understand that we may have to think a little bit differently to stay competitive and to get our products on shelves at the end of the day to get to consumers. So 
bigger conversation for a short period of time from now, though, because it's all happening pretty fast. Sure. Did I hear you correctly that so just to back up and make sure I'm understanding correctly, you won the dispensary license and you acquired the craft cultivation license. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. So we was it about two weeks ago, we got our final approval from the state. So we acquired the building two a week ago, two weeks ago. It's just so fresh right now. So it's all kind of blending together, but we have not announced that yet. So this is the first time we're really openly talking about it. So we thought we'd save it for an important moment. So, um, so thank you for having us on, but um, yeah, we, as you just said earlier, we've always, you know, aspired to be a vertically, um, just a vertical company. And I think for us, it's important. Again, it goes back to that product quality. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, right now in Roselle, we're selling other people's brands. So we, you know, really look at, you know, the brands that we're partnering with, who we're selling, you know, our approach in Roselle, we definitely want to partner with our, you know, the craft grow partners that we have. Um, There's not too many out there right now. So we're saving some shelf space for when they come, come online. Um, And we also have, um, our team's done a really good job of you know, if we want to partner with a company to sell their products, we will do a cultivation tour. So a lot of the companies have been very open and letting us come in and look at their spaces. There's been a couple that didn't and we don't carry their products yet. So, you know, it's one of those things that for us, it's important for that quality control um, and, you know, just what goes out to the customer at the end of the day. Yeah. So pay attention to the products they don't carry, folks. Um, hey, uh, I wanted to ask um are you in any like business associations in the state of illinois yeah we are we tapped in with scott redmond and the illinois cool. we've had him on uh, show, independent right? yeah yeah scott's a scott's a great guy he's, he's an advocate for sure um ali's tapping into uh some other groups like the women leadership networks and, mm-hmm. and i think some people that we're, we're talking with are, are currently members of that group um that we're engaging with the illinois women in cannabis um, group yeah absolutely yeah. you know we we have a lot of from an advocacy standpoint like we we believe in it we believe in community service you know i was on the school board our local school board for eight years helped change policy we worked with like a lot of local city officials and the mayor and then the local uh aldermen to help bring cannabis legalization to our hometown um over the last few years now i think there's one dispensary here that's operating two more that are coming online here in the next six to 12 months. So it's, it's providing a significant amount of revenues to the city. And again, our town is, it was crumbling. Uh, we're again, right on the border of Wisconsin and Iowa, East Dubuque. It's, it's, it's our hometown. We, we believe in it. And um, one of the things that we, we really believe in is, is, is creating opportunities. And back in May, we had, you know, legislators telling us, Hey, your 40 employees are not going to have jobs to reach now because we're going to get rid of Delta eight and these 10 derived products. So we said we need to pivot very quickly and have opportunities for our teammates, team members to have jobs, you know, in the fall in case something happens. So we were opening a like a little bar cafe that we're kind of spending some time and energy into. So again, it's just taking the the opportunities that cannabis is giving us, reinvig- reinvigorating our community and, and and reinvesting it right back into our town. And it's it's making real impacts and it's it's pretty sweet. It's, it's awesome actually. That's that's really cool. Well, hey, I, I feel like I've been spinning us in all sorts of directions. Was there anything like specifically that I wanted to give you the space? Like if you, I mean, we just made a really exciting announcement, you know, that you just acquired a craft cultivation license, but I wanted to give you the space. And uh, I mean, you're always welcome to come back on too, if you have new things going on, but uh, anything specifically you wanted to come on and talk about today? Yeah, I, for myself, I think just generally introduced our brand a little bit. I think kind of showing the consumers and the, and the professionals in the Illinois market, you know, a little bit about our, our background and who we are as a company and who we are as people. You know, I think we're pretty humble when it comes down to it. We realized that we were provided an opportunity, um, you know, to, to do something really special. I think we are the unicorns in the entire state when it comes to, to cannabis. Um, you know, I think we, we have the aspirations to be an MSO. But I think with that comes the responsibility to make sure that we don't leave anybody behind along the way. So everyone that we can advocate for, um, you know, bring the prices down as, as low as we can to try to increase volume. It's important. You know, when I go to, you know, Taste of Roselle to, to talk about, you know, cannabis and, and how it's going to impact the community. I'm hearing a lot of consumers saying that they're driving to Michigan because the taxes are too high. Uh, prices are out of line in, in a lot of ways. So again, for us, you know, it's, it's a, <laughs> 
fair, you know, and I think there's, there's, there's real concerns with that. So, you know, for us, we, we sit back and we, we, again, we, we grew up poor in, in a lot of ways and without much and we've earned everything we've gotten so far and kind of entering the space and always having ideals of what we stand for as a company and what we want to do. You know, ultimately we want to get as much canvas out to the state uh, and eventually to the Midwest and to Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa and Missouri. Again, we're, we're doing that on the hemp side. That's happening. The brand's growing and, and people are following along, but you know, not just selling cannabis. That's easy, right? Like growing really, really good quality cannabis, you know, with having a, a craft license, we don't have to worry about doing, you know, 50, 60,000 square feet of, of, of flour. We dial in our rooms and, and grow really, really top shelf quality at normal prices. Cause that's what the standard should be. That's what we're hoping to do. Um, but in addition to that, you know, we want to make sure we, we connect with the veteran community. We want to connect with the mental health community uh, be advocates in those spaces as well. You know, there's a lot of our employees that feel very strongly about different advocacy groups that they participate in and helping support them as best we can. You know, we want everybody to come in and, and work for our company and buy in and, and become part of the group and want to stay here for the next 30 years and retire here. And I think there's a lot of creative ways that we're going to be able to do that from what, from retention. And, and um, I'm excited to be able to display that and kind of like throw that out there now and you know, hold that up as hold us accountable for the next 20 years to be doing exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure I'm going to, you probably appreciate this, uh, but it, it, you'll appreciate this, but it opens the door to a, a bigger conversation, I think. So ideally everybody wants to become that everybody wants to operate in multiple States. It's like ideal. You start a beer company or a soda company or pizza, you know, whatever you want to be sold in as many places as possible. And it's interesting because in cannabis, somehow that's been given a bad name. And it's because I think MSO has been multi-state operator has been conflated with evil. A lot of people think like, Oh, especially in Illinois. And it's because I would say, there's misconceptions because they, a lot of people say those damn MSOs, you know, it's the reason the prices are so high and it's the reason home grow is still illegal. And that's not incorrect, but it's also not completely correct, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, folks, it just so happens that a lot of the MSOs are, in my opinion, uh, let's just say uh, not always working in good faith. <laughs> um so, it's, but that just happens to be something that we experience in Illinois, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, ideally, you're a, you're a, a multi-state operator with good ethics and morals. And like you say, you stand for principles like home grow. I just just wanted to say that because I feel like in, in Illinois, like I say, people have conflated MSOs to equal evil. And that might be mostly true in Illinois, but it doesn't mean the statement itself is true. Would you agree with how I just broke that down? Yeah, that's, that's very fair. I, and, and I think sometimes, and, and cannabis is so difficult, trying to understand how to you know, become profitable in an industry like this. I mean, right. you know, and, and having no, no background from, from like what type of projections you're looking at and things like that. So you know, the MSO, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as say they're evil. You know, I, I hear that's definitely the sentiment by some of the people in the community. Um, you know, those are the people that I have to work with. Those are the people that I have to buy my products from and, and price them at where they want me to price them at right now. So it's, it's certainly um, an opportunity to kind of maybe just help explain uh, where some of the shortfalls might be. And, and that gives us a unique opportunity to have real conversations with CEOs of these major companies to say, hey, this is our direction. This is the way we're trying to think of taking the market the way that we try to go. You know, how do we work together to maybe bring prices down or create options that can be brought out for, for all the consumers in the state. You know, we shouldn't have to be, you know, um, we shouldn't be priced so high where everyone can't afford it. That's not, that's unacceptable to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess uh, just on that note, what do you think about the idea that, and I still haven't named any names. I feel like we know who we're talking about for the most part. Uh, what do you think about the fact that these companies, I mean, I know it's a conversation, like you said, you can open up, but yeah, it sounds like these companies are fundamentally opposed to lower prices. They view Illinois and, you know, restricting licensing as a, uh, an investment, you know, a return on investment. It definitely is. And, and, you know, when I thought I had an opportunity to win a license, I said, this is amazing. I want to keep these prices as high as possible so we can get our, our return back and our investors paid and things like that. You know, like seeing how the, the lottery system came out and the, 
and, and who won some of those licenses, it, it left an immediate bad taste in my mouth. Um, so it, just trying to navigate those waters in the, in the, the cleanest way possible by, by not burning bridges and by not doing things like that. One could say is certainly that that there are certain groups that may want to keep prices high, and that's that's easy to identify when you look at what prices are in Colorado, Oklahoma, Missouri, you know, even Michigan. Like we have to be be thoughtful of of growing the the, the industry. Again, we're we're the new kids in the block. It's easy for us to say, hey, they did it wrong for the last couple of years. We had no idea what their obstacles were at that time, and, and it'd be unfair for us to even second guess that or, or play Monday quarterback. Um, so we're, we're, we're mainly focused on growing really quality cannabis. And then we get to determine what we get to sell our products for. And again, if you look at the products that we're selling in the, on the hemp side, you know, $20 for, for, uh, an edible all day, every day for, you know, 200 milligrams of, of, of product. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not rocket science, you know, rocket science, excuse me. It's, it's a commodity that's, uh, that you can produce. And the, the better you can produce it, the more you can produce it. Uh, it's just, again, we're, we're excited for our opportunities to say the least. Yeah. And, and I guess just to, to be a little fair, I don't want to just attribute everything to evil and malice. Uh, I, I'll just quote the former director of Illinois normal who had concerns back in the day. Cause maybe, like I say, it's not that these people are just like, ha 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 ha, let's charge more. Right. Uh, <laughs> Dan Lin, who's not a business owner, like I said, he was the executive director of Normal, had concerns that the fees for the business side of things, like cultivation centers for the dispensaries, they'll be so significant that the investors for those businesses are going to want a return on those investments. Under the state's rules, a cultivation center would be charged, and this is the original ones, $25,000 just to apply, $200,000 if it's approved each year, $100,000. And so... uh Basically, his concern was that 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 eventually just trickles down to the patients, right? Um, so, but to your point, you know, maybe it's not all born out of malice. Maybe it's just crunching numbers and like, how do we make a return on our investment? You know, I think that's it. I think I, I got a chance to see one of your articles within the last few weeks. You know, groups growing outside, although it's it's not allowed in those in the CRTA right now. It makes sense. I mean, the idea for the ease for, for growers who've been doing this for, for 30, 40 years, who have the skill set to be able to grow really good cannabis, the the barriers to entry doesn't make any sense. You know, we're getting quotes from contractors that are very well respected. I mean, I'm, cannabis pro, uh, contractors, GCs that are putting buildings together and say, hey, if you want to have a nice, a nice, when you have a, a fully functioning cultivation center, you're looking at 11 to $13 million for a piece of real estate with that is come on now that doesn't make any sense at all um so for us that's that's just it you know we're trying not to leverage much of our our opportunities for 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 borrowing money and capital and things like that so we're doing our build out in phases we're trying to be very thoughtful we're we may not do an extraction lab we may not do our infusing lab uh, and kitchen and things like that until we get cash flow coming in to be able to do those things so certainly the idea of having you know significant you know a couple hundred thousand dollars of application fees and things like that it's 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 keeping a lot of people out of the market that should be able to play and participate in my opinion yeah yeah and i'm curious on the thank you for checking out and mentioning the outdoor cultivation thing i'm curious you know my angle on that wasn't you know some people that were asking are you trying to make it so that that's not a thing in illinois anymore and i and i'm just like no i want it to be so that everybody can do that if they want to not only you with a license but frankly me because i have I have a medical card, so I'm allowed to grow at home. Why can't I grow it outside? You know, like, do I have to build a structure like they built and put cameras on it like they did? I'm just joking. But um, that that was really my point in pointing that out, not not to stop the activity from happening, but to encourage the Illinois Department of Agriculture to allow craft cultivators. So like I started this show with, I asked you all if you viewed the hemp thing as kind of fundamental to you keeping going and, and everything else. And I, that's what I started to wonder when I heard about this outdoor cultivation. I'm like, well, maybe folks that aren't in the hemp business like you or some people are in the restaurant business, whatever, so that they don't, you know, they can have other revenues. And But, you know, people that aren't in that business, maybe 
like if the Illinois Department of Agriculture would just give them a lifeline and say, hey, you can grow outside and you can make edibles just so you can get a little bit of cash flowing in so that you can pay for your freaking facility that we require. You you know, that's been my angle. And I was just curious as a craft cultivator, do you agree with that angle? Like, does it seem sound for I, others? Yeah. If I, if I talk to, you know, a hundred, you know, owners of, of licenses and dispensaries and cultivation licenses in Illinois, 90% of those people would say, let's keep it with the professionals and keep it at a, at a, from a, on an industrial standpoint. I, I, I believe that everyone should have the right to do it. You know, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I think, I mean, just simple changes to CRTA. Um, I'm, I'm talking to, I mean, we're talking about individuals like ourselves who don't have capital to stand these types of things up without significant investment from, from third parties and banks and credit unions and things like that, that, that don't want to participate in the space yet. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, not allowing, multiple licenses at one site. Um, again, if we're talking about a $10 million piece of real estate that has an additional 20,000 square feet of, of, of flowering ability, why not allow, allow a couple of social equity teams to co- right. co- cohabitate co-locate, and co-locate yeah. and, and, and create markets and create opportunities for success. And that's going to bring price down. That's going to be able to get more people into the market. Um, those types of changes are, 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 in my mind, something that they could be addressed in the next six to 12 months, probably. Let me ask you that question a little bit more bluntly. When you, when you heard that information, were you kind of like, what the fuck? Like, why can't we information? The information oh, that, uh, that people were allowed to grow outdoors. I mean, you're trying to get all this capital and these investors and stuff. Like when you heard what I found, were you like, well, what the fuck? That would have been nice to know that apparent like, or that would have been nice to be able to do rather. Is that, did, did that thought come across no. Certainly, certainly did. And we heard about that for a little while. And I've even asked the Department of Ag kind of, you know, several months ago, I'm like, hey, you know, we have a piece of land that we're looking at doing. We know other groups that are doing these types of things. Can we do the same thing? And they said, that's not allowed. And it's like, okay. So, you know, and, but again, we understand that we're not in here asking questions and things like that. We're just trying to focus on how, sure. how we do our business the best and things like that for sure. Yeah. I was just curious because I've I've been trying to ask craft cultivators who describe the troubles like when you heard that information because it because it seems pretty cheap like it seems like I could set up one of those like they just had like poles up some nets and some cameras I mean when you talk about investments that it's like a trip to Home Depot you know? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and that's and that's just it I mean we talk to a lot of different groups in, in the space and we're, we're talking to you know craft cultivation license holders right now currently that don't have access to capital that that are going to have to you know do something with the license before the state you know comes in and says you need to give it back to us and it's so unfortunate a lot of these teams spent you know, tens of thousands of dollars for rent and to, just to hold facilities and things like that hoping that laws will change and hoping that that they'll be able to produce a business and create a business that'll produce enough product to be able to to pay their bills back i mean even the idea of not going to 14,000 feet of, of canopy space a couple of months ago, it didn't make any sense. It still doesn't make any sense why we have to get staged right. out knowing <laughs> that the, that the market tells us that there's not enough cannabis in the space, you know? So just, again, without being um, argumentative or, or, or question, it's just, yeah, we're here to just talk about it and be open and ultimately get answers. And a lot of these questions, a lot of these different teams have certainly. Yeah. Well, just a few more questions before we go. Um, I wanted to ask, what do you think about, like other markets like Michigan and Oklahoma? And is there any reason that you wouldn't participate in those markets? Yep. So yeah, we, we actually do a lot of business with a group up in Michigan that helps us produce some, some edibles on the, on the hemp side of the business. Um, they kind of gave, gave us some recipes and just helped us with some different distribution networks on the recreational side of Michigan. Um, it'd be difficult for us to, to start right now a business sure. in that market based on uh, competitiveness and, and the, the, the ability to, to create opportunities for profits right away. It's just too hard. Um, same thing with Oklahoma. We, we flew down and met Sammy Equinox at his, uh, one of his grows down there. And um, again, similar situation where uh, it's just too far outside of our backyard. We're, we're more of the, the Midwest that we'd like to tap into. I know Missouri would be an opportunity that we'd be interested in, but again, very difficult to acquire licenses and, we don't have the capital to, to, to buy any licenses at this time. So, you know, our focus is, is operating our dispensary in Roselle as best we can, you know, try to get as many customers coming through and, and, and build a really solid 
loyal base. And then ultimately over the next six to nine months, figure out ways to, to procure all the equipment and, and build out our facility to grow the best cannabis in the state of Illinois. And then we can kind of focus our attention, you know, to, on the rec side, certainly to, to Wisconsin and Minnesota as those licenses are going to become available. Minnesota first, obviously, and then Wisconsin in the next one to two years probably is what everyone's thinking or everyone's kind of going that direction or, or thinking that way. Um, but yeah, I think the hemp side, it's doing it right. I mean, we're, we're selling our products consistently across the Midwest and people are loving it, the quality and the consistency. So when those other states do open up, our brand will be out there in front to kind of say, we've been doing this for a few years and you're accustomed to our, our quality. We're, we're, we're excited about that. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for breaking that down. I mean, if I could just put it shortly for people in a, like a bottle, it's kind of hard to profit off of, uh, like $50 ounces in, in Oklahoma. Like how do you, pro- where's the profit margin, right? You know, yeah. so like, or in Michigan, that's another example. There's some like $100 ounces, sometimes $5 grams of concentrate. Like, okay, I'm going to profit $2.50. Like what, <laughs> you know, it just, there's no room for profit in markets like that. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you for explaining that. Cause a lot of people ask like, why are some people in Illinois hesitant to join some of those markets, but you know willing to try to get involved in Illinois. And it's because of the disparity in licensing that we've created with our structure. Like less licenses mean that the price can be set higher for profit, you know? So yeah. And and that's just and that generally I'm not an accountant. Um I used to work at a bank, but I was more of a business development guy. Um, yeah. as my old bosses would, would say, I'm not a, I'm not a banker when it comes to that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, when, when you're hearing that, you know, when you go out to the community and say, let's pull a hundred consumers of cannabis and what percentage of people are buying cannabis products from dispensaries, you know, probably less than 30% is what my guess would be. And again, that's so anecdotal, but you know, people are going to other States, people are buying from their guys and girls they've been buying from for the last 15, 20 years that again, the quality is just as good as the stuff that's in dispensaries right now. So let's, causing people to go in there and the right. price is not is not the reason for, for people to make that switch into the space the recreational space do you i realize this might be a tough question but do you think that with everything we just discussed that illinois cannabis is more pro-business than it is like pro-consumer like it's more business friendly than consumer friendly you know i, I think from a purchasing standpoint from a price point standpoint I think it's it's advantageous for businesses that are in the market operating currently. Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily very easy for startups to get on board. Uh, so it's not necessarily business focused. It's 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 current business focused certainly, but just um, not necessarily for for consumers. I think that's very fair to say. I think one of the things too to think about if we were to take our practices from our hemp space and look to do the same thing in Illinois in the regulated space. We as a team currently would not be able to do it. We rely pretty heavily on our consulting team that has already has experience. I mean, just DJ spoke to it earlier, like just their knowledge of um, the rules and regulations. And, you know, even when we, you know, go through inspections, it's like we learn different things every single time Um, we've passed them. Thank goodness. But like there's the average business owner, it's a lot more in depth than, you know, a traditional retail store. So I think when we think about like business friendly, maybe on the price side, sure. But when it comes to business operations, it is extremely difficult to, you know, make sure there's no discrepancies in your vault, make sure, you know, I mean, there's 65 cameras in our dispensary. So, you know, there's a lot of things that business owners have to go through too um, that make it challenging. So I don't know that it's necessarily friendly in any way across the board, um, but but we're here, it's regulated, it's further than some states are. So um, we'll just keep kind of sharing our story and trying to get products out to consumers at the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, I've got one more question for you, but I wanted to give you background maybe on where that question came from. Uh, based on uh, it's a it's actually a really old clip. Uh, it's just a short excerpt we'll watch, um, but it's reporting from Oregon, and it talks about you know Oregon could be looked as an analog to Oklahoma and Michigan, right? So that's like I say where this comment comes from, and uh, you know we're talking about limited licenses and stuff. 
Uh, so the end of this little clip, you'll you'll like basically hear exactly my uh, comment. But I just wanted to play this for folks. Uh, this is a good clip for history. So we actually interviewed this guy once too. Uh, so check that out. <laughs> Do you look back at it and think maybe we should have put some caps on production or on the licenses? You know, my job's not to second guess that. I'm just the administrator. But if you're asking me, uh, I don't think so. Everyone just wanted to be the first in to have their stake in it. And they were willing to take the risk to be a part of that market. So I don't think that's necessarily bad. And in a control market, they'd be left out. They'd never get that chance. You think all this cheap product would at least be great for the people selling weed. But the same free market system that's given Oregon a ton of growers has also flooded the state with a ton of dispensaries. Saturation is everywhere. It's on all. Uh, the part that I thought was going to play, but I think it must just be later in the video. Oh, yeah, it is later in the video. They basically wrap up that thought by saying one group that's never going to complain about the low price of weed consumers, <laughs> you know, so that's where that comment came from. I wanted to just give you some background so it didn't seem like it was coming out of nowhere. No, it's not there. Um, no, we, we, yeah, but if we can keep prices low, as low as we can, I mean, that's generally with, with I guess our, our model, or I guess the way that we see it is we're so early in the, the licensing rounds that if we do bring the prices down and we're able to bring the prices down to a, a more competitive range to where you're competing more with the black market and, and, and just people traveling or even being able to afford it, it makes a lot of sense for us to, to gain some market share that way and buy some goodwill with the community. I think too, like our, our dispensary is two and a half hours away from our home. So sometimes we'll have to, or we choose to go purchase. And if those prices were lower, that'd be great. So we're consumers too, at the end of the day. So, um, you know, we're, we're all for low prices, but we also need to um, have profits for our investors, obviously, and keep the, keep the lights on, pay rent. Yeah, I promise one more question. Oh, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, and I think I think by you know um, by keeping the 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 prices where they're at, um, you know the the one thing that um, oh, kind of lost my train of thought. Uh, Yeah, totally happens. It happens. Yeah. Maybe maybe this will bring it back. I yeah. I, I apologize. I I promised one final question, but this thought sure. just brought up another. Um, and I'm not trying to jinx us. Like I I wouldn't wish this on you at all. But do you worry at all about like, okay, you come online. Here I am, River Bluff. I got my flower and I'm ready to put it on the shelf. And then the operators drop the fly price floor because they've been on the market for years. Are you worried about that at all? Yeah, I mean, it's always a concern, right? Like it's just a hypothetical, so like we don't have to devote yeah. too much time to it. But. Yeah, no, but I mean, certainly, I mean, we talk about, we talk about, we've seen the exact same thing happen on the hemp side back in 2018, 2019, we were going to be buying, you know, we're going to take some of the money that we made to, to finance some some extraction equipment, and we just seen that price of hemp um, just crash. So yeah. it's it's always on top of mind for us. Um, you know, but again, it's, it's, it, if prices do come down, that wouldn't that wouldn't be the worst thing for us. Um, I think sure. long long term, our our story, um, no, you know, with the consumers knowing that we weren't the ones setting the prices that high in the first place, I think they're gonna hopefully you know have some market brand, some brand loyalty with us, to, you know, over the next few years. And um, you know, cannabis is like dog years, right? So like, what's gonna happen twelve months from now or six months from now? That's like what's gonna happen eight years from now. So like we're more focused on, you know, everything else that's going to have the next 30 days, you know, nothing yeah. else that we're doing with THCA drinks and things like that. I think that's why it was important for us to get vertically integrated too. So I think we're, you know, we're very reliant on the prices that the cultivator set when we make purchases, but when we're growing our own and we're able to, you know, set those prices, we can control that a little bit more, at least in our dispensary. Um, and will always be the smaller group compared to to larger corporate organizations but um we all are in the same space so we we all have to to do dj's point earlier we have to work together but when we have our own cannabis that we're growing and selling we can manage that a little bit better than just having to rely on what the prices are you know when we purchase from others yeah um 
Go ahead, Josh. And I think it'll be yeah, and I think it'd be great if we can get the prices down a bit. I think the the market and leading into where my last thought, you know, I think Illinois has rolled their plan out right. I think they've seen places like Oregon and Oklahoma drop the ball on the industry. And I'd rather have the state be a little cautious and roll this out to make sure that the businesses who are getting in it and are investing money are getting their investments back. And I think, you know, as the years go by in this program, as we kind of figure out the the right number of licenses for the state, that that will kind of also the, the supply demand curve will kind of equal out and the price will kind of be where it needs to be so why do you think we don't take that approach with like restaurants <laughs> I, you know i don't know that i mean you know like i i uh one of the new states rolling out their program is is just basing it on their population you get so much per population which is you know a good way to think about it is just yeah. so you don't oversaturate the market and you know we're investing money in it we want to make sure that the prices we see today are the prices and not yeah in a year from now like oregon is like the worst case scenario because you can grow outdoor weed everywhere there and everybody's doing it and then the prices decline and then half the uh, recreational weed on that market ends up going all east and everywhere else. Yeah, so no, I, I get it. I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I just mean like it's generally accepted that like 80% of restaurants go out of business in the first five years. So like, I understand like where you're coming from, you want to protect your investment. Like that makes sense. It makes total sense. But I'm asking, like, it just seems interesting that we we are taking this approach. Like, it seems like Illinois' approach is to – that's where I was coming from earlier when I say business friendly, more business friendly. It's like we have to mm -hmm. ensure the success of these businesses. And yeah. we don't take that approach with any other industry, it seems. Yeah. Except for mm -hmm. maybe banking, too big to fail. You remember that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> A little bit different. I want to be very clear. That's way different. But – Sure. You get where I'm coming from, where it's like, why are we doing this? I I want to say I get it from your perspective, a business owner, why you like these policies, but it's like, why are we doing this? It's weird. But the policies are challenging, certainly, even for startups and for everyone who 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 went through the process to get licensed, to be able to actually stand the license up and, and communicate with the Department of Ag and IDFPR, and it's uh, it's 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 a it's incredible challenge. Um, I think that's maybe part of the reasons why you're going to miss the ice cream truck. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. We, you're in, in Dubuque. We got the, the town clock right behind us going off. So I apologize. Oh, okay. um, we, we do believe in, you know, business opportunities for everybody, generally speaking. And then, um, you know, with all of the, the regulation that goes into it, there's not many teams that can, that can pull it off. I mean that, um, by the way, the way the system's set up currently, there's yeah. as, as, and again, as the boogeyman, disappears in this industry as, as the sky doesn't fall down and, and crime doesn't increase and, and opioid rates go down and property values increase. I mean, as these data points prove out, it's going to continue to loosen up. And I hope that, you know, there's people in the Illinois market, both at the legislative level and at the business level that they're open to that and, and letting other people participate because it's necessary. So my last question that I want you to all cook on for just a moment is what tips or suggestions do you have for other people that may have their license now and that try to get in they're trying to get in the industry but before i want you to cook on that for just a second because you just brought up you have thca drinks tell me about it or can you tell me about it yet is it a new yeah, thing absolutely. it is yeah we, we've been selling lemonade for a little while what's the um, dose josh so you want to speak different, josh would know that um we have a 10 milligram delta 9 drink and then a 25 milligram delta 8 drink cool why i'm just curious why don't you have a higher dose uh, than what did you say five 10 10 10 and 25 10 and 25 uh is there a reason just is it good starting dose or 
I'm only asking it because for me, I'd have to drink like several. I'm looking for like a, a good high dosed drink, you know? Sure. So. Um, I mean, we, I guess our market hasn't necessarily bore that out. And I know a lot of the Fair. drink markets, um, you know, it's generally a starter product. I would say, you know, like yeah. p- people that are t- trying to tiptoe into cannabis, they're like, Oh, I'll have a drink. So maybe that explains it. I think, yeah. And the idea behind it too, was going to be that social replacement. Cause as where we're at, we've said it a few times on the border of Iowa, Wisconsin and Illinois, alcohol is very, um, heavily used in the space just in general around here. So we were looking to have more of that, that lower dosage for people to consume socially and maybe have mm. a few throughout the night. Um, now me having a baby recently, I can have about five milligrams. So having the ability to have like smaller dosages, um, and then increasing that we were talking about doing like little shots. So that way those are more um, heavily concentrated for users like yourself, um, to have that range is nice, but it was the ideas behind that social replacement for alcohol. Nice. Cool. That makes sense. Well, uh, I, I, uh, asked you all, um, you know, if you have any suggestions or tips on, um, anybody that might be in a similar situation as you or close to it, what do you got for us? From my perspective, um, try to connect with as many people as you possibly can, you know, go to the, you know, promote and uh, advocate and, and connect with, you know, the there's there's teams like uh, Illinois News Joint, you know, Illinois Podcast, uh, a lot of different groups. I mean, like there's there's influencers that we tapped into and, and connect with, like the Sesh Bus. Um, just really get down to the community level and and understand who your consumers are, what they want. You know, what I mean, just because you have a license doesn't mean that you're an expert. And 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 we generally. We genuinely believe that, you know, we walk into rooms and we want to be the dumbest people in the rooms. You know, we want to be a uh, hundred dogs run faster. That's kind of the, the mantra that we have. And we, it, no one's going to give you anything in this industry. If you have a license, they're going to look at you and, and, and wait for you to fail is how difficult it is and say, well, shit, if I would have that license, I would have did it this way. And you know, just get out and talk to people. You know, my, my email, I'll, I'll provide it to you and, Anybody that wants to connect with me, I can definitely try to advocate and provide as much resources as I can to them. Um, but just keep hustling. It'll, it'll get there. I would say for me, it's all about being persistent. I think there's, I would say every single day, there's probably four to five hurdles that we have to overcome, whether they're big ones, small ones. About a month ago, we were told our POS system, our payment processor on our hemp space could not process credit cards anymore. And no cards. They just completely dropped us. So we had about two weeks to find a completely new payment processor for our wholesale clients, for our retail clients. I mean, we're talking about significant transaction volume. Um, but if we would let all of those small roadblocks get to us over the last you know, four or five years, we wouldn't be here. So I think it's like having that good support system. Um, yes, it's with my brothers and Josh, and sometimes we drive each other crazy, but you know, we are, we find our balance between each other, um, you know, and, and just be persistent and keep your eye on your, on the reason why you're doing this. I think that's at the end of the day, we can get through all of these challenges together. Um, but if we keep looking down the field as to why we're doing this, all of those little kind of, you know, nuisances or, or setbacks just become problems that we need to find solutions to. So that'd be my biggest um, input there. For me, it would be um, uh, finding key partnerships. I think that mm-hmm. has given us the biggest kind of bump. You know, we've always prided ourselves on doing doing our own, the work ourselves. But as we've grown as a company, we realize we just we can't do everything ourselves. Um, we worked with a key couple key manufacturers to um, help us produce some things and. Uh, you know, the, that's really helped us out. And just just knowing that to get to the top, it's going to take more than yourself. So um, we found some good key strategic partners that that have helped us along the way. Awesome. Well, um, 
before we go, I just wanted to give you a little bit more space. Anything that we didn't mention today, I we plugged the websites. I'm sure they can find social media from there. Anything we didn't mention? Um, and, 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 I, and like websites, that's some of the channels that we face as well. We, we've had Facebook accounts, Instagram accounts. That oh, sure, we, sure. We get a couple thousand people and then they just, they just take it away. It's like, oh, this, this account is not active anymore. So like we've faced a lot of that kind of stuff um we do have our brother joe he's uh not on the call today but he's um you know he, he he's a, a integral part of this team you know he's a strong leader on the team he moved home you know hasn't taken a salary for the last four years and kind of lived in my basement for a couple of years and just hustled all the way through it and you know, we wouldn't be here without him we wouldn't be here without josh or Allie too so i'm uh, just we again when i say this like we are the unicorns in the state i think we we see the value and even helping other license holders try to figure out pathways forward to, to partner up and create economies to scale together. And, you know, a veteran owned company, uh, you know, Josh was, was, was in the canvas space for a long, long time doing things that he had to do to, to survive. And, um, you know, we have a well-rounded team that we're, we're excited to be able to give back and really do this the right way in our minds. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it today. Yeah. Yeah. And Ali, Josh, did you anything before we go? Did you have any parting thoughts? I uh, just wanted to give you the, both the space. Uh, I don't. I, I've said all that I think we wanted to say. So I, again, we really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to talk with us and helping us tell our story. I think that's where we have a big opportunity is is in telling our story because we're our heads are down working. So um, these moments are really important to us and really special. So thank you for giving us the space to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate your time, Josh. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, no closing thoughts. I appreciate your time today and letting us get our story out. Yeah, yeah. Well, Josh, Allie, DJ, thank you so much. You're welcome in here anytime. And um, you extended an invitation to me. Sounds like I might be visiting you all uh, in the future. So uh, we'll work out the finer details on that. But folks, I hope you found as much value in this conversation as I did. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Thank you.